0: Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach, and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. So, hi, Maya. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, and first off, I wanted you to introduce yourself. And tell everybody what you do, but actually before that, I want to tell everybody listening how I know you. So I went to the Power of the Purse conference in Halifax a couple months ago before Christmas, and Professor Maya was one of the speakers, and she was talking about apologies and how apologies kill confidence. And when she was talking and she had this energy, she had this passion and she really spoke to me because there's so many times where I feel bad for something or I ask for something, but I stop myself from asking for it or I'll do something and I'll I'll apologize. And there's no reason at all. And so it just, you really spoke to me and I feel like you're relevant to a lot of women. So I'm really happy to have you here. So can you just tell everybody what you do and what you're all about?
1: Sure, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I am a sociologist. I call myself a self-described confidence builder and apology hater. So I, um, I am obsessed with apologies, basically. I first became obsessed with apologies uh, three years ago and it changed my life. It changed my career. It changed my research, what I do. And, um, so that's what I do. I study and I research and I give talks and workshops around women's confidence, communication, and mindset. And in those categories, I would talk about, or I'm fascinated by imposter syndrome, the nice girl, um, boundaries, Uh, how often women say yes to what everybody else wants. And we don't often ask ourselves, what do we need? Uh, Perfectionism. And uh, those are some of the things that I, I love studying and speaking about.
0: Okay. And you just did a TED Talk in Toronto and it's gone viral. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about
1: oh my goodness, my TEDx talk has like 36,000 views, what, like, seriously, my gosh, and you know what, this thrills me to no end, because for so long, so long, people, can I, can I swear on your podcast, um,
0: yes, you can, we can make this episode, um, yes, you can, (laughs)
1: So for so long, people crapped on my idea. People did not take me seriously. People made fun of uh, my book or they made fun of what I wanted to study. Or they said, that's such a, um, a minuscule thing. You know, you should be working on more important uh, topics. But I honestly... Sorry, I
0: really... Sorry, sorry. I just want to... repeat. <laughs> oh, I'm apologizing. Ah, Okay. Whew. Not going to do that anymore. Yes. So I just want to make sure... I understand. So this thing that touched my life personally—the talk that you gave at Power of the Purse, this TED Talk that you did in December—I think it was so just a couple months ago—has gotten thirty-six thousand views. People told you not to study this topic and not to go down this road, and they made fun
1: of you for it. Absolutely. To this day, to this day, um, when I when I got my um, PhD right when I graduated, it was around 2014, in the summer of 2014. And that's really when I first became aware of over apologizing. Well, I guess I had always known about it, but it really sort of happened. Um, Everything sort of came crashing down. And I realized, no, I, I want to learn more about women's confidence. And why do we speak in ways that undercut our confidence? And why do we deflect praise? I mean, we'll get into that later. And I I was like, I'm going to write a book. And people were like, what do you, what do you mean? Who are you to write a book? You've, you know, just because you're a sociologist doesn't mean you're qualified to write a book or it doesn't mean you should do this. And so many people did not take me seriously. Like I, I cannot emphasize this enough. And this is why I'm so passionate about getting women to not listen to that negative voice in their head, whether they've planted that negative seed themselves or they've listened to other people, you, You have to believe in yourself so much um, to keep going after what you want to go after. And so to make a long story short, I started giving talks about apologies three years ago. And after every single talk, women would come up to me. They would line up. They would wait 20 minutes to, to speak to me. And they would say to me, I thought you were talking to me. I thought you were in my head. I thought I was the only one. I apologize all the time. I deflect praise all the time. Um, and, And we would have this phenomenal conversation. And it was because of those women who either reached out to me personally at a talk or they would reach out to me on social media. It was because of them that I kept going and I kept believing in myself because they resonated with this message. And I applied to get a TED Talk for two years. And it didn't happen, but I was like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get a TEDx talk. And finally I got the TEDx talk. And, you know, even though I did it in December, it only, it only got put up online on YouTube six weeks ago. So in six weeks, you know, like it's just, it's gone global and it's been amazing now because women from all over the world, I kid you not from Ireland and Australia and Germany are contacting me or leaving messages. Because TED Ideas wrote an article about it, and then they posted it on LinkedIn, and then they posted it on Facebook, and and like thousands of comments, and they're all the same. I do this. You're speaking to me. Why am I over apologizing? Thank you for giving me tips. Thank you for talking about this. And it's been almost a full circle moment, and uh, it's been remarkable because I think that you know 36,000 women right now may have gotten off the apology train thirty-six thousand views may have now planted a new seed in women's minds to stop over apologizing to switch out this apologetic lingo for something more confidence inducing and that thrills me like that genuinely thrills me to no end
0: so i want to tell you about kind of what happened to me after i met you back i think it was november is so i have my own business and i have big corporate clients and I was doing a proposal for a client and it was a new thing I was doing for them. I hadn't done this before and I was questioning how much I should charge them and my immediate thought went to, I feel bad because they're not going to be able to afford this. Or I feel bad because I'm going to put this number on this proposal. And my instinct was to apologize. And I bought your workbook and in your workbook, you talked about kind of like this idea of not apologizing and not apologizing for who you are and what you can bring to the table. And literally I thought of you as I was putting the proposal into a PDF and sending it off because once it's in the PDF, PDF. You can't change it. And so I wanted to thank you for that because that was something that was like immediate and tangible. And it happened within a couple weeks of us meeting. And now that, like, I know this happened to me. So the thought that 36,000 people are hearing your message, that makes me
1: so excited. (laughs) Thank you so much. And that, that makes me so happy. And I get a lot of messages like that from people who, who say, I was going to accept the first offer on a job and I thought of you and I thought of what would Maya say? And you were, I went back and I negotiated and I got more or I was working on a presentation and there was a glitch in the PowerPoint and I was just about to apologize for the PowerPoint, um, not being in order. And I thought of you and I said, Nope, I'm just going to keep on moving along.
0: I love it. So I have a question for you because earlier you talked about you're being obsessed with imposter syndrome. And then you said something, how there was people in real life who were saying to you, who are you to write a book? And I want to just take a step back for listeners because not everybody knows like you and I are obsessed with this kind of thing, but not everybody knows what imposter syndrome is. Uh, So first, I want you to explain what it is, and second, what I see happening is literally the like imposter syndrome thoughts are like, "Who are you to write a book?" But real people we're kind of seeing the same things as like that voice in your head often says when you're on to something big and you want to put yourself out there. So. Can you kind of first explain imposter syndrome and second, how you dealt with it and how you dealt with these critics that were also outside of your head?
1: Yes. Okay. So I'll do imposter syndrome first.
0: Yeah. Define imposter syndrome first.
1: Okay. So it's basically when you feel like wherever you go, you know nothing and everyone else is an expert, right? It's in, it's an inability To own your success. So you never feel good enough, smart enough, like you're the right person for the job. You don't feel proud of your success. And when you do succeed, you have a sense of anxiety about how am I going to recreate this? How am I going to top this? How am I going to live up to these expectations? And You oftentimes feel like you don't belong here, whether that's you don't belong in this graduate program, you don't belong as an entrepreneur, you don't belong as a new mother, a new student. It often rears its head when we enter new roles. And it's this belief that you have somehow fooled people and that you are going to be exposed as this imposter or this fraud, as somebody who isn't qualified, as somebody who isn't smart enough, who shouldn't be there. And there are some main characteristics, but the three top characteristics of imposter syndrome really is the need to be the best, right? So you have this expectation of every single thing that you do must be flawless, must be perfect, or else you're not gonna put yourself on the line to get exposed as this person who isn't perfect. And then when you do fail, you internalize that failure. You make a mistake, you think you are the mistake. You fail, you think you are the failure. And then that fear of failure, that's the second characteristic. That fear of failure looms over every single thing that you do, planting seeds of doubt. Like, what if you mess up? Everyone's gonna laugh at you. Everyone's gonna look at you. And then you remind yourself constantly of every little mistake that you made along the way throughout your journey to, to reiterate to yourself, this is why I shouldn't do it. This is why I shouldn't take that risk. Cause remember that one time that I did and it didn't work out. And then the last characteristic is a complete inability to own your success. When you get praised on anything, instead of saying, thank you. Yes, that was me. Yes, yes, yes. You deflect it. And you say, oh, it was just luck. Oh my gosh. If I did this, anybody could do this or They don't even know what they're doing. I don't know how I got in. I don't know how I got promoted. I don't know how I got into law school, med school, grad school. I don't know how I got this job. They're going to find out, right? So we use every little excuse in the book to push away our success instead of just owning it. And that imposter syndrome is so common. I mean, at least 70% of us at some point in our lives are going to feel that doubt. And certainly, as I was writing the book, I, I said to myself, who am I? Who am I? I? I I have just this little idea. Who am I to write a book? But it was those women that would come up to me after the talks and that would resonate. And I, I wanted to have something to give them a value to help push them out of their comfort zone.
0: So what did you do when those other, those critics outside of your head said, who are you to write the book? The woman with the PhD in sociology, right? Like people were coming to you and saying, who are you to, To write the book, they're actually pointing out your flaws and echoing what the imposter syndrome was saying. So how did you deal with that? Because that's a double debilitating feeling. It sounds like it could be.
1: It is. And it takes time to build up your armor in order to deal with criticism. And so one of the ways that I have been able to do it is by looking at, is there value in this critique? So I look for the nugget of truth when I get critiqued on anything and I look at, okay, is this a legitimate critique? If so, how can I use this criticism to be better? How can I use this critique to better my public speaking, write a better book, a, do a better presentation, um, have a more intersectional approach? How can, like, how can I be better? And then I discard the hate. So anything that's super personal when I get critiqued on my outfits, my clothing, my appearance, the the sound of my voice, how animated. I mean, you saw me at Power of the Purse, right? I'm a very animated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it, though. <laughs> and anybody who has seen my, Ted, my TEDx talk will know that's a whole lot of Maya coming at you through the screen, right? I mean, even when I first watched my TEDx talk back, I was like, oh my gosh, Maya, calm down, calm down. Why are you screaming? But I was just so excited to be on the stage. I was just so excited to finally have that moment to speak to women. And so when I got that hate, when I read the comments online on social media, it's I've now been able to build up the armor where I can just keep swiping. Okay, okay, okay. next, next, next. But when I get to a legitimate critique, I take time. And I reflect, and then I use that to be better.
0: Can you give us an example of one that kind of came recently out of this TEDx experience? How were you able to find a nugget?
1: Um, okay, so people, so people say, oh, she's a, she's a sociologist. She clearly hasn't studied um, the sociolinguistic aspects of apologies. And I'm like, true, because I'm not a linguist. That's not what my PhD is in. But... I can read up on the linguistic um, aspect of apologies, and maybe I can use a little bit of that in a next talk, or somebody will comment and let's say, this is not just gender, this is cultural, I can't believe you um, you would waste your time doing a TED talk when you didn't even address the aspects of culture. True, there are cultural implications um, regarding apologies. Some cultures, apologize more or they do it in different ways. And so I have to sit back and say, okay, A, I only have 18 minutes in a TED talk. I can't talk about everything. B, that is a valid point. There is a cultural aspect, but that's not what that talk was about. C, I'm, I am going to look more into culture and see how culture does uh, play a part in the gendered nature of apologies. And thank you very much. And that's for a future talk. It
0: sounds like you're using this criticism, honestly, to like take yourself to the next level and like serve your audience even better. I love this. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me tell me what it was like before you were doing this, like before you were doing the TED Talks, before you started
1: the book, like what was life like for you? Uh, chaotic, stressful, and no direction. <laughs> so I um for people that don't know anything about me I um to give you a really quick rundown of how I got to this point I graduated high school putting little to no effort um I glided on glided by on my uh writing skills and my public presentation skills clearly you've heard me speak you know I'm an extrovert (laughs) you know I'm sort of charismatic or I'm 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 kind of out there with my public speaking and I really use that to kind of just slide by with high school and I figured when I got to the University of Toronto I would apply the exact same effort and I did that in first year and I got served and um I you know I was like getting A's in high school and then I I get to U of T and I start getting C's and D's and I was like what (laughs) what are you talking about I'm awesome And everybody's like, no, you're clearly not. Your writing is clearly not awesome. And I remember to this day where I was, U of T, St. George campus, Toronto. I remember where I was when my TA sat me down because I got a C and I was like, I don't get Cs. Why Why would this essay be a C? And he sat me down and I remember his head sort of being in his hands and he was sort of exasperated. And he said to me, Maya, your writing is so cliche. And um, a, I didn't know what a cliche was, so I had to like go look it up. And I realized, oh shoot, he's right. Uh, my writing was filled with cliches. And then I joined the debate team, and I thought I was a public, an amazing public speaker. And the debate team crushed me. And from that moment, I really sort of became lost. I thought I was awesome, and I realized I wasn't <laughs> because I hadn't put in the work. And I was dropping courses and adding courses, and I thought I would major in English, and I wasn't doing well in English, and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I dropped out from uh, full-time studies to part-time studies, and I ended up selling high-end fitness equipment full-time and just doing school part-time. And then after a few years of that, I I was done with selling high-end fitness equipment in retail, and I decided to become a makeup artist. So the long the shortened the shortened story is it normally takes on average four to five years to finish an honors BA. It took me 12 years. 12 years because I was doing maybe two courses a year, one in the summer, trying to find my way. Um and then I um I found sociology. I fell in love with sociology, but more importantly, I um, I I was mentored somebody believed in me before I believed in myself and his name is Dr. Lauren Tepperman and he pulled me aside one day and he said you're a really good writer and you're a really good public speaker and this was after years right and he said do you want to join my research team. And me-
0: oh, I need to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. And I'm going to do this because I think it's important for everyone listen to, listening to hear. And I am a really big advocate of sponsorship. And the way this story is going, it sounds like this person, Dr. Lauren Tupperman, he was your sponsor. And just for everyone knows listening, a mentor gives you advice and says, hey, Maya, you're a good writer good for you. I really like this paper that you wrote. Whereas a sponsor opened doors for you. And what he did was says, Hey Maya, here's a spot on my research team. So he was your sponsor. So I just want everyone listening to know the difference.
1: Yes. And, um, the other thing that sponsored, he absolutely was my sponsor. So the other thing that sponsors do is they are in a position of power and authority to hire you, to promote you, to, um, pick up the phone and open doors for you. They act as gatekeepers. They, they vouch for you. And most importantly, they have the power to allow you to fail and to catch you and to teach you how to learn from that so that you don't get kicked out the door the first time you mess up because they have the authority to say, no, no, no. She's going to learn from that failure. She's still going to stay on the team, Right. And so, yeah, that's definitely a big difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And so he did sponsor me. And, um, but when he asked me to join his research team, the very first thing I did is I spoke like an imposter and I gave him a litany, seven, eight reasons why I wasn't the right person for the job. And immediately he said, do you want to be on my research team? And immediately I said, but I'm just an undergraduate. And he said, I know <laughs> you're in my undergraduate class. Do you want to be on my team? And I said, but I don't know anything about the sociology of families. Cause that's what he said. He said, I know. That's why being part of a research team is where you're going to learn about this. And I said, but I'm not as good as your graduate students. Again, I know Maya, that's why we'll teach you how to do this. And I was just giving him every excuse why I wasn't the right person. And I from that moment on, I ended up working for him for 12 years. I basically worked on every single research study he had. And it was because of him that I didn't apply for a job for 12 years in academia. I would email him and say, are you working on anything? And he would say, I'm not, but you know what? I know this this sociologist and this person and this person. I'll send an email. I'll connect you. Wow. What a powerful sponsor.
0: That's amazing.
1: Well, it's also because everything that I did for him, I would do 150%. Yeah. He may have only paid me for 20 hours. I put in 30 because I wanted him to know that the work I did, um, he would be proud to associate with, you know, like I wanted him to be proud of me. And so he, he believed in me. And then um, I finally graduated and i did my master's and when i got into the master's i was determined to finish quickly because i felt like i had wasted all this time right as an undergrad not knowing where i was going or what i was doing and um i ended up studying with his protege at the university of waterloo dr Wei Zhen dong and she was another sponsor Another person who said, okay, I believe in you. You want to do this degree in one year instead of two? What are you going to do about it? Let's set, a, let's set a strategy. Let's set a schedule. When I messed up, she was right there to say, okay, what are you going to learn from this? How are you not going to repeat this? Instead of condemning me, right, to academia exile or something, right? So she, um, she really believed in me. And then I got into the PhD. And after a year in the program, I switched my supervisor, I switched my entire committee, I changed my topic, I read the annual ethics proposal, and everybody said, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I did. <laughs> and it's just, like, my whole story, I think, is really about, you've really got to believe in yourself and your capabilities, because every point along the way, there's going to be pitfalls, and there's going to be doubters, and haters, and naysayers.
0: Okay. So I have a couple questions. So say there's somebody out there and they're just kind of not sure. They're just kind of coasting along in their career. And they feel like they don't have a sponsor. They feel like, you know, you're just coasting. You're not really sure what to do next. What are some steps that people can take to get out of that?
1: The number one thing that I would say is disregard the most common advice of follow your passion. I hate that. I cringe whenever I hear somebody tell young students or um, new people out in their careers to just follow your passion, just do what you love, ah, because it's become so meaningless. I have 10 different passions. I'm passionate about RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm passionate about uh, hair and makeup and loud jewelry and sequins. Doesn't mean I'm going to start a career in any of that, right? So I always encourage people to follow your curiosity. So what are you curious about? And that is really, when I look back, that's really what I have followed, whether it's been unconsciously or not. That is what's gotten me to this day. When I uh, spent my 20s, (laughs) a decade, to try to get my university degree, the one thing that I kept doing was asking myself, what am I curious about? And I was always curious about sociology. How can I learn more about this? And that's why I just kept taking more courses. And at the same time, I was a hospice volunteer for 10 years. So I worked with the dying for 10 years. So I would go into somebody's home um, once a week for four hours a week to take care of them. So these were people who had six months or less to live. I didn't know why I was doing it. I didn't know how long I would be doing it for, but I was curious about the dying at home. I was curious about were there differences between how rich people died versus how poor people died? Were there, were there fa- family dynamics? W- what happens when you're dying in Ontario and your whole family's in Halifax? How do you deal with it if you don't have the money? And, and so I was curious about that. And so I did that for 10 years. And I did that alongside other things, but I kept doing it not because it was a passion, but because I wanted to learn more. And then I actually ended up doing my master's topic on that. And I knew not to do my PhD on that topic because after 10 years, I wasn't curious anymore. I didn't have any more questions about it. And so I think oftentimes when we graduate from school or we get that first job, we think we have to know what we're doing for the next 10 years of our life. And you really don't. You just like, what are you curious about now? And with every job that I've had, when I have stopped being curious, I've stopped being challenged. And I stopped asking myself questions, those three things. That's when I knew it was time to change gears, whether it was find a new job or find a new research topic. And so I've been doing apologies now for three years. I'm super obsessed and still um, curious about all the different aspects around apologies, but I can see how apologies is now to sort of perfectionism and um, imposter syndrome. And I'm super curious about learning more about that. I don't know if I'm going to be studying that five years from now, but that's okay because I'm still curious about it now. So
0: can you share some of, just for people who haven't watched your Ted talk yet, um, what are kind of some of the most common apologies pitfalls that people get into?
1: Okay. So I guess the first, I I should preface it by saying that, um, So Canadian research that came out of the University of Waterloo actually showed us that women do apologize more than men. It's not that men avoid apologizing. It's just that they have like a really high threshold for what they deem to be apology-worthy behavior. And women have really low, a really low threshold. They're almost sort of on the lookout for how they can squeeze in an apology into every sort of um, sentence. And uh, sort of a, a frequent critique of mine is that people think I want women to stop apologizing altogether. <laughs> That's not it at all. Apologies really do matter. And if, if they're used in the right way, in the right context, they can heal a relationship. They can um, bring tensions down. They can, they're needed and they're valued. But I really want to bring attention to how often and for what reason women are apologizing.
0: It's almost like you want people to use their apologies
1: wisely. Mm -hmm.
0: But a book by that title would not be as edgy or as, hey ladies, stop apologizing. So
1: I titled my book, yes, exactly. Or my, my TED Talk, right? My TED Talk is How Apologies Kill Our Confidence. Can you imagine if I titled it Um, please reconsider apologizing just for the right moments. I mean, come on, nobody would. No
0: no one would listen.
1: (laughs) Nobody would click on that. So um, I I found that we're using apologies before, before we preface our sentences with sorry, 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 before we give our opinion on anything, before we disagree with somebody. Every time a student asks a question in my classroom, they will preface it with, Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, can I ask a question? Sorry, this may sound silly. Sorry, I don't understand this. Sorry, could you repeat yourself? And I find that in meetings with colleagues at work, everywhere I go Starbucks, the grocery store, the gym we're constantly apologizing unconsciously because apologies have become our habitual way of communicating. And there are so many other phrases that. And this is both men and women? It's, well, we know that women over-apologize. Women use apologies apologies more often than men. And in my sort of anecdotal research over the past three years, um, I've been sort of collecting apologies and they pretty much tend to come from women who are over-apologizing for needless, mundane issues. You know, you want to reach over somebody and you want to get something at Starbucks. Sorry, sorry, could I squeeze in there? Instead of just saying, excuse me, may I just reach in there? Right. It's those sort of needless apologies.
0: Okay. So what are the consequences to kind of like our culture with all this apologizing?
1: Uh, it chips away at our confidence. It, it absolutely chips away at our confidence and don't be surprised if at the end of the day, there's nothing left of your confidence because you've given it away with every needless, useless apology. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, Every talk that I give, right, I can see the aha moments happening with women in the audience where where they're nodding along and they're like, oh, my gosh, I just apologized in the coat rack. I just apologized around the the lunch buffet area. I apologize for bumping into somebody when I could have just said, excuse me, pardon me, you go ahead. Like we can switch it out for other phrases. Um, It makes a difference. Really, people perceive you differently. If you are beginning and ending your sentences with, sorry, sorry, sorry. And they're not looking at you thinking, how can I get some of that confidence? How can I get to know this confident woman? How can I hire this confident woman? It creates this, this awkward energy truly in the room. I think all of us know somebody who over apologizes and we need to help each other out and get off the apology train because it's linked to this people-pleasing mindset, right? This desire to be agreeable at all times and to everyone, and it's reinforced, right? And it's it's encouraged from this very young age where we're just, oh, get along, be nice, play nice, get along, whatever it is. And... We care so much about other people's feelings that we're constantly prefacing our ideas, our statements of disagreement with, oh, sorry, sorry, could I just jump in here? Oh, sorry, I disagree with that. Oh, sorry, could I add this? And we don't have to do that because it undercuts whatever we're about to say. If you're about to disagree with somebody or give your idea and you start off with sorry, it just undercuts whatever you're going to say before you've even given your full idea.
0: It almost, it's like, it's not validated. It's like your voice is not welcome in the conversation. So it's almost like you're sneaking
1: in. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there are so many other phrases, just like really easy to switch out phrases and story.
0: So I'm interested uh, like with what you've seen like in Canada in the round, cuz I've heard that Canadians are we have the stereotype oh Canadians are so polite and Canadians apologize so much. So have you noticed that Canadians apologize more than people in other
1: countries? Well, every every country says they're the one that apologizes more than everybody else. I just Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I just did an interview with the BBC 2 weeks ago and they were convinced that british people apologize more than anybody else but that, that is the british culture and you must you must um apologize and for them they don't say sorry they 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 literally use the word my apologies my apologies apologies for that okay and um and so every every culture has convinced themselves that they are the one that over apologizes.
0: okay so it's just us canadians thinking that we're so polite and kind of like it's like an excuse for us to tolerate this behavior okay that's so interesting okay so this is fascinating for me so for people listening and that you know have self-diagnosed themselves as an apologizer where do you start in getting over this
1: okay so the first the first step is to bring your awareness to it and now that people have heard or as they're listening to this podcast they will go away from this podcast and they will start hearing these apologies everywhere they go. Once it's brought to your attention, I feel like, um, you really sort of start noticing it everywhere else. And I want women to consciously stop apologizing, even if it's mid word and switch it out for something else. So instead of saying, for instance, um, like if you've bumped into somebody, right? You can say, Oh, sorry. You can say, excuse me, pardon me. Uh, if somebody bumps into you, oftentimes we apologize to that person, right? Mm-hmm. Happened so many times, uh, in the hallways or parking lots or an airport, somebody bumps into you and you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And it wasn't you. You can switch it out for, Oh, go ahead. After you, your turn. Like these are all Different phrases that we could switch it out for.
0: And these words don't hurt our confidence. These other words.
1: No, and if you want to uh, remember a really easy way, you could say, "Thank you." So instead of saying "sorry," um, "sorry for venting," "sorry for complaining," switch it out for "thank you for listening." Oh
0: my goodness, I love it because
1: you're acknowledging the other person. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me talk about this. I really appreciate that. Um even if you're running a few minutes late, you don't have to fall over yourself with apologies. You can simply say, thank you for your patience. Thank you so much for waiting for me. It just changes the dynamic. And I can, I can tell you every time I've done that, when I've been running late for a few minutes, and I'm not saying like I'm 40 minutes late and I show up and I'm like, oh, thanks for waiting. This is for just innocuous amounts of time, right? And you say, thank you so much for waiting. People are very gracious. They're like, oh, you're welcome. Yes, no problem.
0: It's almost like instead of it making the relationship negative, because when you show up late for something, it's already kind of negative, right? And when you say sorry, it's like, do they really mean sorry? Like if they really meant it, they would have shown up on time. But when you say thank you, it's like an acknowledgement to their time. It's honoring them. And I feel like it's, building that relationship forward it's like a
1: deposit to their emotional bank account yes yes, absolutely absolutely. I love it I, I at the heart of it I just want women to become more conscious and deliberate about why they are apologizing in that moment and could they have used a different word
0: Okay so I have a big question. So if we're thinking about at work in organizations we're thinking about leaders and they are looking at the women on their team and they want to sponsor them. They want to put them out there. They want to put them in those risky situations. They want them to put their hand up and speak, but they're all apologizing. So what can you do as a manager if someone on your team is is addicted to apologies to encourage them to get over that behavior?
1: <laughs> have them watch a the TED Talk. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> uh, pulling them aside privately and not uh, admonishing them in public, uh, and also saying, I noticed that you're over apologizing and it's really undercutting what you have to say. You're, you're such a brilliant person, and what your message will come across so much more confidently if we can switch out these unnecessary apologies. There's, I mean, it's such a problem that these um, developers came up with an app specifically for apologizing and minimizing, the use of minimizing words in email. So these women developers came up with an app. You can use it on Google Chrome plugin. It's called Just Not Sorry. And when you put this in, it takes like two minutes to download. It's a free app. When you put this app on, it will alert you to every needless apology in your email so that your emails come across with more authority and leadership. And it will also alert you to all the minimizing words that we use. Like, I have a small idea. This is just an idea. I'm not an expert. This may sound silly, right? All those phrases undercut. Like, so if you, if you want to give an idea to the team at work and you say, This is going to sound silly, but could we try this? Like, why is anybody listening to you? Because you've literally just told us it's silly. Or you say, I'm not an expert in this, but maybe we could. Okay, so you're not an expert. Great. So you've completely undercut what what you're just about to say. So this app alerts you to all those minimizing words, phrases, and apologies.
0: Wow. So when you use it, it's almost like you have your own like coach kind of like helping you with your language and calling you out in your emails. And I would assume that it would translate to your vocalization because you're being aware of it in your writing. And then it'll kind of bring that accelerate that awareness to your speaking.
1: Is that how it works? Yeah, absolutely. It'll underline before you hit send, it'll underline all the apologetic lingo.
0: Okay. I'm going to download this app and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So if anybody listening wants it, you can just click down below and find it.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about when you get a text and you don't respond right away, what's the first word you type?
0: Sorry for the delay. I feel like 90% of my emails like that I get are like that.
1: I know. Like, what are we doing? You have a job. You were probably working. Maybe you were driving. Maybe you were tending to a family issue. You don't have to explain. You don't have to apologize. And so that's another reminder. Please don't let your first word in a text be sorry for the delay. Sorry I didn't get back to you right away. Just, Just answer the question or answer whatever the query is. You don't have to apologize. Because this expectation, with smartphones, is that we will respond right away.
0: Cool. Okay, I have another question. Um, like, what's the potential here if people just embrace this concept and kind of owned their confidence and stopped apologizing? Like, what's the potential for us? Like for women?
1: So, what I've noticed anecdotally, and this has just been from women emailing me after they've either read the book or seen the talk or heard me talk live, is that they feel more confident. And this confidence then has this domino effect in other aspects of their lives because they're speaking more confidently because they're catching these unnecessary apologies with other women. They're helping other women out. And then they're also now second guessing the prior times that they didn't take a risk with something because they didn't have the confidence. So to put it more eloquently, learning to speak with confidence has a domino effect in confidence building with other aspects of your life. So you are more likely to speak up at work, um, validate your own experiences, apply for a job that you didn't think you were capable of before because you have this newfound confidence because you believe in yourself It's about adding these layers of confidence and self-belief and self-efficacy on into your mind and building that resilience. It's just one layer, but it adds something of value because it creates a domino effect.
0: That's so cool. And is it contagious amongst other people? So if one person stops apologizing, um, say on a work team, if one person really embraces this idea and does the work, stops apologizing, is it contagious for the people around them that work with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I gave a talk at a bank, and there's about 600 people attending. And within hours, I was getting messages on LinkedIn, private emails. And they were saying, Oh, my goodness, every one of us in the office is catching each other apologizing for no reason. This is amazing. And then a week later, they would email and they would say, it's we're still talking about this, we're still catching unnecessary. apologies. This is amazing. And it really it's sort of, It it just cascades out. And all these women were helping each other out. Because uh, I, I say this in my talks, but I want women to get off the apology train. I want women to help each other out and interrupt unnecessary apologies with other women. But also I want us to start owning our accomplishments and call other women out when they don't own their accomplishments, when they deflect praise. And it's it has spawned this phenomenal conversation around why, why did I not just say, thank you. That was me. That was can you give us
0: an example of someone deflecting praise and like how that shows up?
1: Yeah. So you get complimented on something at work, right. For a job well done. And the number one thing women say is it wasn't me. It was my team. It was the team effort. I couldn't have done it without. And then they list like 18 people that they couldn't have done it without. And yeah, you work on a team. Yeah, it's important to be collegial, but it was you. You took the lead. It was your effort, your idea, whatever it was. And could you just maybe like 10% of the time just start saying thank you? And really the very first time you say thank you without deflecting praise, or for many of us um, inserting a self-deprecating joke, right, to deflect praise. That's also a very common technique that women do. What's a joke?
0: Give me an example of one of the jokes.
1: Um oh gosh, they're so okay. So like a joke would be like, um, you compliment a woman on something that she's wearing, and immediately she says, she says Oh my gosh, this whole thing, like I got it at clearance on winners. And you're like, Oh, okay um now that I am looking at it it kind of well yeah it does kind of look like you got it on clearance right and then you're like oh my gosh why did I just do that why did I just tell this person that I bought my pants for four dollars or that I just found this blazer crumpled up because it's really just you have good taste yes. that's all the compliment was it's like oh thank you
0: for acknowledging that I have good taste and really that's all it is
1: but just those two words just saying Thank you, and then just being in that moment of owning it, it is so difficult for many women because it's like you have to own your space, own your value, own your worth. And from such an early age, we have been taught, encouraged, be humble. Don't gloat. Don't brag. Be humble. And the definition of humbleness is having or showing a low estimate of one's own worth having or showing a low estimate of one's own worth. And so we think, oh, I must be humble when I'm praised. I must deflect praise to everybody else. I must show that I'm a good team member. And I'm not saying to say, oh yeah, it was just me. It was just me. It wasn't anybody else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, take baby steps. The next time you are complimented, could you just say thank you and nothing else? Could you just do that? Could you do that 10% of the time that you're complimented on anything? Could you just own it? Could you just recognize your own greatness? Could you recognize your progress? Just like just once, could you do that? I love it. I love that you're just dialing it down to such a
0: simple first step. And this is a great way to wrap it up. So, okay, so one, if people do two things, so one is say thank you, close your mouth, after you get a compliment and number two is I think what I'm getting from this is just start to recognize like in myself and the people around me when I hear these apologies in that awareness is going to get me on the train to stop using it and and I guess the third one I think there's a third one and if I do find myself starting that apology it's like a it's like oh pardon me and doing that replacement I think those are the three things Um, for me, I think would be the simplest things for people to walk away with to take action right away.
1: Yeah, and tied to that um, saying thank you is I want women to remind themselves of their greatness because oftentimes we fill our minds cataloging our mistakes, reminding ourselves of our failures, reminding ourselves again and again and again of all the times we've messed up And I'd like us to make that switch and to fill our minds. Or if you're old school like me, you'll write it down on a piece of paper. Remind yourself of all the progress that you have made to get to this point. And I call it sort of the resume of awesomeness because we need to do this. We need to be our own best cheerleader. We need to pump ourselves up at all times so that when the imposter syndrome starts creeping in, you can immediately switch and remind yourself of your greatness and to own that value. I love it. Okay, so can you
0: tell everybody where they can find out more? So tell them where they can find the TED Talk and where they can find your book.
1: Okay, so the TED Talk is called How Apologies Kill Our Confidence. And if they go onto YouTube and they just type the title in, How Apologies Kill Our Confidence, you will see my uh, TEDx Talk pop up. Um, Or or if you go on to ideas.ted.com, you will see an article written about my talk there. You can reach me on social media at Professor Maya. So my handles are at Professor Maya and Maya is spelled M-A-J-A. You can reach me at uh, my website, which is ProfessorMaya.com. And also Mondays, Mondays with Maya is a new thing that I started maybe two months ago. And I do an Instagram live every Mondays at 8. And I talk about... 8 a.m. or p.m.? Oh, p.m. P.m. Eastern time, right? Eastern time. And if you can't watch it live, it goes up onto my YouTube channel a few days later. And so you can watch it there. Or you can watch it if you go onto my Instagram. You can watch it there afterwards. And it's, it's about 45 minutes to an hour Mondays with Maya at eight. And I talk about all of these topics. So every week, it's a different topic. Sometimes it's perfectionism, imposter syndrome, self compassion, but all of these topics that I'm super curious about, um, people can learn more. And you can, uh, the book is called Hey, Lady Stop Apologizing. You can get that on Amazon online or Indigo online. And after I wrote the book, I realized that you can't just read this stuff once and have your confidence change. You really need to work through the exercises and take time working your way through those chapters. And that's how the workbook became um, developed. That's how I came up with the idea for the workbook. So the workbook, Hey ladies, Stop Apologizing, the workbook, also available online, Amazon Indigo. Awesome. So
0: I have the workbook because I wanted to do this work. (laughs) I recognize that in myself and I bought the workbook and have worked through it. So thank you so much, Maya, for being on my TED Talk. It's been a blast and thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And I'm definitely going to check out your Instagram live show because that is going to be a good reminder for me every Monday to stop apologizing and own my own greatness.
1: Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a fantastic conversation.
0: I'm so grateful that I got to have Professor Maya on my podcast. The tools that she shared with us today, so recognizing when you're apologizing and not doing it anymore, it's so simple, but it can be so powerful and it can build so much confidence. So I want to encourage you to start to notice this and start to take action because I'm going to do the same. And before you go, I want to tell you about a new freebie that I have available. It's all about sponsorship. So if you've ever wondered what the difference is between a mentor and a sponsor and why you need to get a sponsor instead and stop trying to get a mentor, this guide is for you. You can download it on my website, andreajansen.com slash sponsorship. That is andreajansen.com slash sponsorship. And thank you so much for listening to my podcast.